this morning, you're here on a, on a special morning, and I'm really excited. Got the opportunity to hear the sermon at 9 o'clock, and it was great, and it was fantastic. So if anything changes this service, you know you can always go back and listen to that recording. But I have high hopes. I have high hopes that it's going to be the same, and God's going to move as he did in the, in the first service. Andrew Barbarian, one of the blessings that's happened over this last year during this time, I said God has been at work, is that Andrew and Rosemary have come and partnered with us in ministry and starting our young adults group, The Well, and now Andrew has come on staff at the church, and this morning is, this is his worldwide Sunday morning preaching debut, and 20 years from now, you're going to be able to say, I was there when God began to use Andrew uh, in his gifts and preaching. God has really gifted uh, Andrew in a number of ways, and so you're going to hear that in a moment, and we're looking forward to what God has to say. He's going to be in Luke chapter 5, we're going to be this morning. If you grab one of these black pew Bibles or chair Bibles, it's page 860, or you're welcome to use your copy that you brought with you, but we're going to be an encouraging congregation this morning. I told the church this morning, it's never easy to stand up and preach and deliver God's word. I'll tell you what, it's even tougher when everyone's spread out. It's raining outside, and it's cloudy, and you can't tell people are frowning or smiling because their faces are half covered. So we're going to be a giant supporting congregation this morning and listen to what God has to say to us. Would you welcome Andrew as he comes to preach? Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm going to start off by apologizing, um, worship team mostly, because uh, something about just the way that God wired me when I start to get into the word of God, it just moves me. So I'm going to be all across the stage, and if that's distracting, I'm sorry. Hopefully you could still get something out of the message this morning. Uh, but it's good to be here with you. It's good to open up God's Word together with you today, this morning. Uh, and I, I mean, I guess it went well enough in the first service that Brian let me do it again. And uh, hopefully if uh, all goes well to today, this service, then you know, maybe this won't be the last time I'm up here. Um, but you, uh, just pray with me really quick as we get started. Dear Lord, I thank you for your truth. I thank you uh, for your word in which you reveal yourself to us and in which you uh, convict us and uh, change us. So Lord, I pray as we, uh, we dive into the scripture this morning uh, that you, you, you will speak. Lord, I pray that you would empty my mouth of everything that is of my own agenda or from my own heart or my own mind, Lord, that all that would be left is your truth. And I pray that you would prepare our hearts and minds to receive that and to let it change us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would comfort us, you would convict us, you would do whatever is necessary for us to become, uh, to look more and more like Jesus. And we pray this in his name, Amen. So I want to start by asking, who here loves a good underdog story? I mean, something about rooting for the little guy, watching him come out on top, just gets the people going, right? It's, just, it's exciting to see those kinds of stories happen. And my favorite, one of my favorite underdog stories has, been, has come to be known as the miracle on ice. And maybe you are familiar with this story. It was an Olympic hockey game between the United States and the Soviet Union. Happened in the year 1980 in Lake Placid, New York, and the it was it was the medal round, and the Soviet Union came into this game as the huge favorites to win, huge favorites. This team had all the talent; they had every every player on their roster was was a professional with years of experience, multiple Olympics under their belts, uh, and they had the best goalie in the world at the time. 
They not only had all the talent, they also had all the momentum. This team had gone five for six in the gold medal at the Olympics uh, these, these past few, and, and three years completely unbeaten. The Soviet Union went 12 whole years, their hockey team, without being beaten on Olympic ice. And the United States came into this game with the youngest hockey team ever in history, with only one player returning with Olympic experience, and everybody expected these guys to get crushed, just demolished. And uh, so the puck drops, the game starts, and you know it, it, it's going, and we get to the second intermission. So there's 20 minutes left to go in the game, 20 minutes left, and the United States find themselves down two to three. And I don't know what happened in that locker room. Herb Brooks had something to say to that team, but they came out in the third period with, with, a, with a fire in them. Somehow, they managed to get two goals past the best goalie in the world, and hold off wave after wave, this, this Soviet onslaught of attacking uh, to win the game. They go on to win the gold medal, and they go on to win the hearts of Americans everywhere, all across our country. And if you've been following with us in this series, we've been talking about the mission of Jesus. As he came to this earth, in the first few chapters of Luke, he starts to reveal why he came. He starts to reveal what he came here to do and, and what he's trying to accomplish. And as we start to see this come together, as we start to see especially the, the people that he calls to be on his team, we start to recognize that Jesus' story is possibly the greatest underdog story of all time. So if you, if you will, will you join me in the Gospel of Luke? I'm like not even on the right page. Chapter 5, we're starting in verse 1. It says this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. I want to pause here and set the scene. I want you to picture this. Jesus has, has already performed a couple miracles. He's already made a name for himself, and he's drawing crowds. So he comes to the Lake of Gennesaret, sometimes also called the Sea of Galilee, and just people are coming, droves and droves. This crowd is just growing, and they're pushing slowly Jesus back and back until waves are coming up over his sandals, and he's like, I got I to gotta figure something out because I don't want to preach waist deep in the Sea of Galilee. So he finds a boat. Hobson turns out to be Peter's boat. I think he knew that ahead of time. And uh, he says, Peter, Peter, help me out. I need to go out a little bit from the shore so I can teach these people. So Peter hops in with him. They go out. And Jesus sits down. At, that's, that's the customary way that a rabbi would teach people. And uh, he preaches this sermon. He preaches this sermon to the crowd. But what I believe happens as this passage unfolds, what I believe is really going on, he's preaching to everybody. But he really... He's really preaching to four people. He's preaching to this whole crowd, and the whole crowd is going to be encouraged, but he's really, at the end of the day, he's after the hearts of four fishermen in that crowd. And I wonder if you have ever listened to a sermon before, uh, maybe in person or online, and you just felt, has anybody ever felt, felt like the pastor or preacher was just speaking right to you? Like, they've, they've got to be stalking me, 
or, or, you know, just like reading my journal or something? Like, how do they know everything that's going on in my life? How is everything they're saying perfectly applicable to my situation? I believe that that was the same thing that was going on here in this passage. Jesus is preaching to this whole crowd, but he's really, he's really dialing it in, preaching to these four fishermen. And I wish, I wish we got to see the message. I wish we got to read what it is that Jesus said. Unfortunately, we don't. Luke doesn't share that, but what he does share is how he chooses to conclude this sermon, how he chooses to wrap it all up and put, it, put a bow on it. So we pick it up in verse four. It says, when he had finished speaking, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered him, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, we'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now this is, this is like the sermon illustration to end all sermon illustrations, right? So, Je- so Jesus finishes preaching, and this is part of the reason why I think he was really after these four guys, because... They go out into the deeper water, farther away from the crowd. Who knows if the crowd even really understood what was going on? But the fishermen knew. The fishermen knew better than anyone that what just happened was completely impossible, was an absolute miracle. You see, Peter, James, John, these guys, they were, this was their career. This was their livelihood. This was all that they knew. They knew every inch of that lake. They knew where the fish were going to be. They knew when they were going to be there. They knew the best ways and methods to to catch them and bring them uh, on shore so they could make a profit, so their families could eat. It was their job to know how to fish. And Jesus comes to them, and he says, hey, let's do it this way. Let's go out into the deep water during the day and let down the nets for a catch. Now, at least to me, maybe you know more about fishing than me. To me, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. But to these guys, they knew immediately that this was... Everything, like if you wanted to, to fish the wrong way, this is how you would do it. These fishermen knew that during the day, fish spend their time in the shallow water, not in the deep water. But Jesus says, let's go to the deep. Let's, let's fish in the deep. They know that the best time to catch fish is during the night because that's when the fish are more active. But Jesus, in the middle of the day, says, let's, let's give it a shot. And they also know that the tackle that they're using, these nets, they're, they're like trowel nets where you would throw them over the side of the boat and kind of drag them. They knew that these nets wouldn't work during the day anyways because the cords on those nets were thick, thick enough that the fish could see them and swim away. So these guys know, Peter knows better than anyone, better than the crowd, that this is not going to work. And you can imagine their surprise when they start to hear like a little popping and cracking noise and they start to, their boat starts to tip and they start to realize how much fish there are. And they're like, oh crap, like we got to do something. Like we can't, these nets can't break. This is a very important piece of our business. Uh, So they signal to their partners, James and John, that they get out there as fast as they can. Somehow they salvage this catch. They fill both boats so full that they begin to sink. So as soon as they're like, whew, glad we figured that out, glad we sorted it, the boats start to take on water. And they're like, oh, they start throwing fish back. They start bailing out the boat. They're just paddling to get back into shore frantically. And they see that this is, this is a miracle. We find out later that, I mean, it's, Scripture says that they were astonished, that they see this 
as a miracle. And whenever you see a miracle happen in the Gospels, whenever you see Jesus do something miraculous, heal somebody, raise somebody, catch fish, it's, it's never about the thing. It's never about the miracle itself. Jesus doesn't just heal the person so that the person will be well. The miracles are a means to something. They're a means to an end. And the Gospel of John will even go so far as to not use the word miracle, but to use the word sign. Because these miracles were signs to, to point people to who Jesus was. When he does miracles, and when he does this miracle, he's revealing himself to specific people. And this miracle speaks the language of a fisherman. This miracle speaks their language, and they realize that this person is powerful. This person has power over nature. And you know, I think to myself, maybe Jesus had something to do with their, uh, their, their night of fishing that was completely unsuccessful. He kept the fish back so that we could get them all at once in the morning. They, 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 sh- they realize in this moment that Jesus has power. But Peter responds to this miracle in an interesting way. So let's keep going. It starts in verse eight. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Now, this, is, this response is very interesting, especially because immediately before this passage, Jesus does some miracles in the city of Capernaum, and the people there, their response is like, please stay. Like, please continue to uh, heal our sick people. Please continue to bless us so that uh, you know, we can prosper. The people of Capernaum want Jesus to stay, but when Peter sees this miracle, his response is the exact opposite. He says, no, go. Like, go away from me. And this is a really, at first, to me, this was a really interesting response, but as I started to sit with it a little more, I realized that this is a very relatable response that Peter has here. In, in this moment, Peter not only sees that Jesus has power, but he also sees that Jesus is holy. This is, the, this is like a textbook response when a person encounters the holiness of God. When an angel shows up, appears to somebody, usually they're falling on their knees, they're falling on their faces, they're afraid for their lives, and they just want to get away. They just want to put distance in between them and God's holiness. And the reason is because in an instant, when you experience the holiness of God, in an instant, you recognize who God is, and you also recognize who you are, and you realize that those two things don't mix very well. Unholiness and holiness don't mix very well. And so Peter's response is like, I am not worthy of you. I am not worthy of the holiness of God to be in my boat, so go away, Jesus. And I wonder if you've ever felt that way before. I want, maybe you're sitting here, you haven't, you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus yet. You haven't made the decision to submit your life to him and, and the reason that the thing that holds you back is because you think that uh, he doesn't want you. How could he want me when he knows that I did that? How could, how could he call me? How could he have anything uh, for me to do 
when I've spent so much of my life living in addiction to this. And you, you, you find yourself to be unworthy. If you've ever felt that way before, even if you do follow Jesus, I believe that this still happens. Satan is very good at his job. When we feel unworthy, what does Jesus do? He says, Peter, get up, man. Like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. You're going to catch men. And I start to rack my brain, like, why? The question is, why? Jesus clearly wants Peter to be a part of his mission. Peter clearly sees himself as completely unworthy of it, and yet Jesus chooses him anyways. So the question is, why? Why does God call unworthy people? Why does God call the worthless, broken, messed up people like me and like you? I think Paul uh, talks about this. He gives us a little bit of an answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says this. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Consider when you were called, when Jesus called you to his mission, consider what you were. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You got to imagine if Jesus had a GM for his team when he starts recruiting players, so to speak, to his mission, the GM's got to be like, all right, Jesus, here's the plan. We need, we need some talent. We need to recruit some talent. We need guys and girls who are articulate. We need, we need people who have, uh, have an influence in society. We need people who have resources and connections so that this message can go places. We need to get this movement off the ground. And Jesus would say, no, no, no. I want that guy. I want her. She's perfect. The GM would be like pulling his hair out like, are you kidding me? If you'll indulge me to do, to continue this sports metaphor, I, I hope there's no like sports haters in the crowd today, but uh, every year professional sports teams have drafts where new players get picked. Teams and franchises will pick players to join their team. They'll say, I want this guy. I want that person. And they happen in rounds. And if there was a, ever a, a first century draft for Jesus' mission, Peter, James, and John, they, they were fourth round picks at best. They, they didn't really have a lot going for them. They didn't have a lot of talent. They didn't have a lot of experience. Fourth round picks at best. Luke doesn't include uh, the fact that Andrew was there, Peter's brother Andrew was also one of his co-workers. The other gospels record this account. They include Andrew. I think Luke, Luke does us a favor because Andrew might have been a second round pick. Who knows? That was a joke. Thank you, guys. Um, <clears throat> he might have been a late second round, but regardless, none of these guys were anybody's first pick. And I wonder if you've ever been on like a pickup sport, gone to a pickup sports game where the captains are choosing who they want on their teams and you've been left to the end and you're thinking to yourself, you know, nobody, nobody wants me. Like, I, like for me, it's basketball. No, no, nobody should pick me in the basketball pickup line because I, I just, I've got no, no game. But Jesus looks at me and he says, you're perfect. 
You are perfect. I've got exactly, I know exactly what you can do on my team. And he calls these guys, he calls the people that everyone else would pick last. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus will say this. He'll say, the first will be last, and the last will be first. The people that everyone passes over, those are the people that I want on my team. The broken people, the sinful people, the people who don't have their lives figured out, the people who don't have a lot of skills and talents. Those are the people that I want on my team. And we go back to 1 Corinthians. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. When that team of underdogs gets together and, and starts to do things, starts to make waves and headlines, people start to notice. They don't notice the people. They remark that this worthless, no, good-for-nothing group of underdogs somehow figured this out. Man, they must have something else. The glory goes to Jesus and not to us. God uses the foolish things, the, the, the weak things of the world to put shame to our, our trust and strength and our trust and wisdom. And to, from that day on, from this day onwards in Luke chapter five, Jesus has not stopped calling people to his mission. He has not stopped calling the unworthy, the unrighteous, the useless people to his mission. And when Jesus calls you, when Jesus calls you to that mission, the only response that's worthy of that call, the only response that's worthy of Jesus' mission is ever-increasing submission. The only response worthy of the call to join Jesus' mission is ever-increasing submission. What do you mean by that, Andrew? What are you talking about? Well, let's look at verse 11. What, how do they, what happens? What happens after this? It says, so they pulled their boats up on shore. After seeing all this, after witnessing everything, they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and followed him. This, is a, this, is a, this was a tough verse for me. Brian, Brian didn't give me an easy passage to preach because I believe that we're supposed to to relate to Peter in this passage. I believe that God wants us to, to, to put ourselves in Peter's shoes that teach us what it, what it means to be called to his mission. But then that leaves the question, are, are we supposed to do what they did? Are we supposed to leave behind a career? Are we supposed to leave behind, this was their financial security, this was their safety net. Are we supposed to leave behind our comfort zone and follow Jesus into something completely unfamiliar? taking them farther away from home than they'd ever been. They're leaving family behind. Is that what Jesus is calling you and I to today? And that's, I, I wrestled with that for a while. And as I was sitting with this verse, as I was praying about it, asking God for what he wanted to say, I felt like this, was, this is where he was leading me. Because if you want to join Jesus' mission, if you want to go deeper with Christ, you have to leave something behind. We sometimes look at Peter in this passage, we look at this, especially in verse 11, and think, I could never do that. To go from just like casually knowing Jesus to leaving behind everything, to, to going to Indonesia to preach the gospel to, to a country that's 98% Muslim. I could never leave behind everything I know to do that. But 
what we forget is that this passage is, is a journey for Peter. It's a journey from him starting on the shore, Jesus calling him into the boat, and Peter quite literally leaves behind the shore to join Jesus in the boat. He submits, step one of submission, he submits to Jesus to join him in the boat. And after Jesus preaches, he says, let's go out to the deep water. Let's go out to the, the deep place. Things may be a little scary over there. And Peter submits to Jesus to, to leave behind the shallows and go to the deep. You have to leave something behind if you're gonna go deeper with Jesus. And then Jesus tells him how to do his job. <laughs> he says, this is how we're gonna fish. And Peter has to leave behind his ego and his pride to go deeper with Jesus. And so I don't know where you are, which, which Peter you relate with in this story. Maybe you're, you're just kind of checking him out. You're, you're on the shore, you're washing your nets. You know, you've got your comfortable life. You've got things pretty well in hand and Jesus is asking you to take that first step. Maybe you've been following him for a little while, but it's just kind of been a casual thing. You, you just come on Sundays and, and you know, you say, great, pastor, great sermon, pastor, we'll see you next week. Or, uh, you know, you, you're involved in a group wherever you're at. Jesus is calling you deeper. Jesus has called you to his mission and he's calling you deeper. And to go deeper with Jesus, you have to leave something behind at every step. And maybe it'll take you 10 years, but maybe Jesus will call you away from everything you know. Maybe he will call you to go to a foreign place, to share a gospel with an unfamiliar people who speak an unfamiliar language. Maybe he will, but it's a process where you trust him now, you submit to him now, you leave something behind, and he takes you a step deeper. And you do it again and again and again. Because God calls us to his mission. He calls us to this mission when we were useless to him, unworthy of his call. He chose us anyways. So my question for you this morning that I want us all to consider as we go from this place, as we go about our week, wherever you're at with Jesus, what is it that you need to leave behind so you can follow Jesus on his mission? What is it that you need to leave behind so you can take a step deeper with Jesus? Maybe it's, it's a pattern of sin in your life that you haven't taken seriously up until now. Maybe it is a bad relationship that you know isn't doing you any good, but you haven't really done anything about it. It could be your own pride and ego, just like Peter had to submit that to Jesus because he may be telling you how to do your job. As a matter of fact, it may be turning down a promotion, turning down a, a, a step up in your career ladder and your aspirations because Jesus' mission comes, is, is much higher a priority than your career aspirations. And so if you wanna go deeper with Jesus, if you want to join him in this mission, he's calling you to leave that behind. And as the worship team comes back up, I wanna speak to something that happens in all of our lives. I, I alluded to it before, but even, even as Peter does this, 
This is a big step for him, but it doesn't mean that he's got it all figured out. There are gonna be numerous times over Peter's journey with Jesus where he's gonna feel unworthy. He's gonna feel unworthy to be part of Jesus' underdog squad. And I want, if, if whenever you feel unworthy, maybe you feel it today, maybe you, you, you'll feel it a week from now, a year from now, but whenever you feel unworthy of the call that Jesus has put on your life, whenever you feel unworthy of the mission of Jesus, I want you to remember the words that he speaks to Peter. In verse 10, he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. From now on, in these three words, Jesus declares a new purpose for his life. He, he gives Peter a new identity. He confirms his call. He says, I have chosen you. I have selected you out of anyone in the world. I have chosen you to be a part of this mission. And he looks at each one of us and he says the same thing. Family, Jesus has called you to his mission. You may have been avoiding that fact for a while. I'm here hopefully to confront you with it for a little bit. Hopefully the Holy Spirit will convict you a little bit. If you follow Jesus, if you've, if you've made that decision, you've got, you've got a spot on this team. There, there's no room for you on the bench. Jesus has called you into the game. And to take that step, You've got to leave something behind. So I encourage you to think through what that is. What is it that he's calling you to leave behind? And when you feel unworthy, to remember that you were loved by God before, before like Paul said, when you were called, before you were saved, before you were redeemed, when you were unworthy, when you were broken, God sent Jesus for us. Jesus came out of love for us. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing you can do can separate you from the love of Jesus. Nothing that somebody else could do to you could separate you from the love of Jesus. And in John chapter 15, Jesus will say to the people that he loves and calls, he will say, remember, you didn't pick me. You didn't pick me, I picked you. And I picked you for a reason. You didn't choose me, I chose you to bear fruit. To bear fruit that will last, to be a part of a mission that is going forward, that will continue to go forward until it's completed. Followers of Jesus, we know how this story ends. We know what the score will be at the end of the game. The underdogs come out on top. If you follow Jesus, you're on the winning team. It may look like we're losing all the way up until the end, but you're on the winning team. And so I would encourage you as you go throughout this week, you wanna go deeper with Jesus, you wanna join him in his mission, what is it that you have to leave behind to go deeper with him? Let's pray. Jesus, we give you thanks. 
give you thanks for picking us when you had no, no business doing so. Thank you for choosing us even though we were unworthy of your choice, when we were unworthy of your mission. We thank you that you have invited us into something, something incredible, something powerful, something filled with hope and life. Lord, once again, I pray that you would show us what that thing is. You would convict us, convict our spirits, convict our hearts, and comfort us. Lord, if we are feeling unworthy, I pray that you would remind us from now on, you're on my team. From now on, nothing you can do can separate you from me. Nothing you can do can change that. I've chosen you once and for all. Now let's go. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are obedient to your word. I pray that we are a people who would trust you in this journey of ever-increasing submission. Give us the strength to leave behind that thing that we know we can't take with us. And we thank you once again for your grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.